Quite hostile. Hey, what's up, y'all? Welcome to the second edition of the Can I Kick It podcast. Showtime here with the one and only E Shrock. E Shrock was happening. What it do? So, guess what? What's up? I was talking to somebody like the other day, and they were like, you know, that E Shrock, she thinks she nice. And I was like, no, 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 no. E Shrock don't think she nice. She, she knows she nice. She nice. <laughs> <laughs> so this is episode two. How you feeling? Feeling good. I'm ready to give the people dope. Right. Got to give the people what they want, right? So episode one was real dope, if I do say so myself. Shout out to everybody who like checked out episode one of the podcast, Sounds of Blackness. Everybody who downloaded the um, episode and listened to it on SoundCloud. Everybody who listened to it on Stitcher. Everybody who listened to it on their, on their iTunes. All of that. So just a huge shout out to everybody who also commented, rated, and subscribed to the podcast. Yeah, we definitely thank y'all for your support. And we're going to hope that you come and kick it with us some more. Yeah, we definitely want y'all to keep kicking it with us. So if you haven't done so already, rate, subscribe, comment, all of that. It's a real dope podcast. So Make sure you hit that up, um, and also just make sure you can find us anywhere that you find your podcast. We out there. So, let's get this episode started. I guess we got to talk about new releases. Yeah, there's been there's been quite a bit of stuff that's come out since our last episode, yeah. so we should definitely get into that. All right. I know you've listened to a lot more of the new releases than I have. Well, obviously, the uh, internet was all abuzz over the Childish Gambino release. Yes, I did hear that. I heard Undeservingly so. That album is dope. So let me just say this about Childish Gambino. I was always under the impression that he was a rapper, but true, he, which I guess he is. I never took him serious as an artist. No, right. I he, can't really claim that I've ever purchased any Childish Gambino music. Yeah, and, like you know, like yeah, 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 around right, the right, house. Right. <laughs> like I think I saw him a couple years ago on one of the late shows, and he gave like the explanation for his name. Like childish meant whatever, and then Gambino was like his fake Wu Tang name. So when oh. I heard that, I was just like, <laughs> "Nah, bro! Like, I, I really can't take you serious. I really just can't take you serious." So I've never taken Childish Gambino serious as an artist, as an MC. But people have always said, like, you know, you need to check him out. You need to hear what he got. And I was just like, "Uh, or not?" Right. I just I really can't claim that I've ever uh, been excited about anything that he's done. Right. Up um, until this. Right. Right. I mean, he already laced us with Atlanta earlier this year. Right. But that's TV, that's though. That's TV. So even right? on TV, I wouldn't expect him to drop a dope project like this. But even with Atlanta, compared to the previous things I've seen him on and like his comedy specials, it was such a departure. Because he's not that funny. That's <laughs> <laughs> basically what you're saying. He, I mean, historically, he just hasn't been that funny to me. And the show um, seemed to be from, you know... Most of the, what do we call them, ATLians, <laughs> Atlantans. Right, 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 right. the um, ATLians, right. Most of them say it's pretty authentic. Right. I mean, it's definitely entertaining. It's well written. He did a really good job on the show. Mm-hmm. And for him to slide into this album 
which isn't a hip hop album at all. No, it's, it's really like a funk, funk soul, funk soul rock type of album. Right. Which I I get all into that. Right, like it right, put right, me right. in that like Gary Clark Jr. Alabama Shakes like in those in that type of mode is yeah. where it kind of put me in. It's it's awesome. Yeah, I, but I totally went into it expecting a hip hop project, and it ended up being like George Clinton and. Like the girl from the Ohio Players album covers just like had a baby and <laughs> created this like funk monster. And it's really, really dope. Just if you're into good music, if you're into good sounds. Now, mind you, I don't know what he's talking about on any of the songs. <laughs> Let me just throw that out there. I have no clue what well, any of the, the songs. The lyrical content is 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 decent, too. I mean, on first listen, you're not going to get the lyrics. But if you, you know, when you go back in and like concentrate and listen or, you know, you can always use your friend Google. Right. You can always right, do right. your Googles and pull up um, the lyrics. A lot of times I get caught up in the music and then on the second go round or even a week later, I start really getting into the lyrics. Mm-hmm. Um, I have no problem saying it's a little bit over my head lyrically just because I don't know what he's talking about. But I love mm-hmm. it. And it's it's funky. And, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a fan of funk. So I think it's super dope. So salute to Childish Gambino for an excellent project. What, what else came out? Uh, the Hamilton mixtape. Hamilton mixtape. I've not heard that. Um, Hamilton mixtape. You know, it's it's not anything I want to hear all day, every day. But it really was. It's good. From what I understand, the content of the mixtape songs correspond with obviously the actual uh, with the play. Right. It's got Black Thought on it. Ripping as usual. Mm-hmm. It's got Nas. I mean, it's really a, a well-rounded project, These and it just songs? sounds good. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. Okay. So I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. It's not. I'm not going to pull it out every day and be listening to it, you know, for days on end. But when I just need a little something different to listen to, I really enjoyed it. So it's produ- good music. Production-wise, like who's some of the producers? Well, the Roots did the whole thing. Oh, okay. Okay. I don't know if they brought in other um, producers as well, but. It was a Roots project. Right, right, right. Okay. All right. So, salute to the Hamilton mixtape. Definitely. What else? Um, we had Pete Rock and Smoke Dizza. Pete Rock and Smoke Dizza. I've heard a lot of people talking about that. That's a really dope project. I definitely recommend you going out and, you know, streaming that. Put it, especially in the car. It sounds really mm-hmm. good in the car. And then, uh, well, before, we'll save J. Cole for last as far as the new releases. But uh, J. Cole and Absol came out. Right. Uh, simultaneously. I've never heard an Absol song in my life. <laughs> I have no problem saying that. And <laughs> never heard, probably never will hear an Absol song. I... Even though Absol is on the Rhapsody mixtape. Yes. And, um, Here's what I want to say. I um, have enjoyed Absol on features. Mm-hmm. I definitely have enjoyed him on features. Um, this whole project, and, and to your point that he was on the Rhapsody uh, EP, he... Return the favor, and she is actually on. Oh, okay. On this album, um, but even she couldn't save him oh. for me because oh. Oh. I just didn't. Um, it just didn't curl all the way over for right. me. Like it, it. I like I like him on features, but as the album as a whole, it just didn't grab me. I just didn't connect with it. Right. Um, really, no diss to him, but it just didn't grab me. So I moved right on along. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and it's the um, full it's a full album, right? Yeah, yeah. It's just wow. And does he have anybody else on the album other than rap? Mm, I, I'm trying to remember. There, I skipped through it pretty quickly. There were, mm, 
I don't know. <laughs> I moved on so quickly. <laughs> right, whoever it was, they weren't memorable. So there's that. Um, <laughs> I moved on so quickly, but you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take a quick look here okay. and see um, because we have resources. You know, we aren't just sitting here. We have resources. Um, it's called Do What Thou Wilt, um, just as an FYI. Um, yeah, he has people on here that. Is Kendrick on it? No, 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 no. Now, is Absol the one that was complaining um, on Twitter? No idea. Yeah, I think Absol. <laughs> <laughs> I could be wrong, but I think Absol was the one a couple of months ago who was complaining to Top Dog, who is like the head guy over at TDE, about sitting on the bench. Like, who else is, who else is at TDE? Is, is Kendrick, Schoolboy Q, Absol? Schoolboy Q is on this Absol album. Right. But it wasn't Schoolboy Q that was complaining. I believe, I'm pretty sure it was Absol who was um, complaining that TD was taking their time putting his project out. And I guess now we see why. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Even the album cover is unfavorable. It, mm. it's, it, it disturbs me a little bit. But okay. Um, but yeah, Schoolboy Q was on here. Some other people I've never heard of. Uh, Cocaine, BR3. Um Tedra Moses is on here. Okay, I love Tedra Moses. She's dope. Um, she couldn't save it for me either. Oh. Uh, and the song that Rhapsody is on, Mac Miller is on also. I'm not a Mac and Miller And I'm fan. not a Mac Miller fan nah. per se. Nah. So, yeah. So, All right, so yeah, that's so enough So I just moved right on along. That's, which um, is what we're about to do right now. Um, so. so that same night after I, you know, skimmed through Absol, J. Cole had dropped. Cole World. Definitely. Um, for Your Eyes Only. Mm-hmm. And I want to say I skimmed, you know, through it because I just happened to be up, I don't know, like two or three in the morning. And I just, let me go ahead, since I'm up, instead of scrolling through Instagram, I'll go ahead and, you know, see what what these releases are talking about. And I, uh, let me tell you what it was. The two uh, tracks that he had teased us with just previously. Mm -hmm. The um, false, prophet. fa- false prophets right. and what was the name of the other one? Um, I don't remember, but it had the um, like the lyrics to go the uh, Minnie Riperton sample. Um, those two really had me like, oh, okay. Like they had me in a certain mood, and they had me expecting something in particular. And when I listened to the album, it was really totally left of that. So I immediately was like, mm-mm. Uh, on first listen, because I was expecting it to be in the same vein as, you know, something on the same track as those two songs, because mm-hmm. he was really spitting on those. Yeah, yeah. It just immediately, because I was expecting something totally different, I just wasn't impressed at all. Right. So then on my way to work, I said, well, let me listen to it again, because, you know, you always got to give it a spin in the car. Absolutely. Uh, listen to it again. And I kind of realized, okay, it's kind of like a concept album. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a, you know, him growing up, um, his feelings toward, I don't know, I guess his girl, his his baby. And when I removed what I was expecting, Mm -hmm. um, then I started to enjoy it. Mm -hmm. So on second listen, you know, I started enjoying it. I know there's a lot of mixed review online. Some people have been saying it's trash. Some people have said it's the best thing they've ever heard. Right. Um, and I'm right in the middle. When I look at it for what it is, I 
I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Anytime an MC can come with, you know, heartfelt lyrics and lyrics that actually mean something and lyrics that show growth, I can't ever be mad at them for that. Especially there's a few songs I really like, Neighbors. Um, I really like, I forget the other one that I really like, but on second listen, I, I enjoyed it right. much, much more because I just let go of the expectation that I had for what it was going to be. Mm-hmm. I don't, I, I think I still need a little more time with it, but... I was able to accept it and enjoy it after I let go of that expectation. Right. Well, I had the same expectations that you had. I kind of wanted, I wanted it to be an album that sounded like False Prophets and sounded like you know those two records that right. we heard. So when I, I woke up that it. morning, I tuned it in expecting. I expected. I expected two things from the album. I expected False Prophets. Um, like that sound, and those songs aren't even on there, so right. I can't even enjoy them along with the other the right. other content. Right, I expected that, and I also expected because I know he had did some records with Bink, like, and I love Bink's sound, mm-hmm. so it's I really soulful. wanted to hear how Cole sounded over Bink tracks. Like, I know for a fact that him and Bink got records together, um, but I just wanted to hear how that would sound. So I, I really was expecting those two things, and when I didn't hear those. Like you, I was somewhat disappointed, not falling into the concept or not even knowing that there was a concept. I expected Cole to kind of explore different sounds mm-hmm. because a lot of the time, and I don't even, I haven't even looked at the production credits um, because I know he does a lot, if not all, of his own production. So I kind of wanted to hear Cole on some other people's beats. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, one thing that I didn't like about it, and I still don't like it, I don't like the Bryson Tiller sample. Exactly. When I heard that, I was like, Bryson Tiller already ran this song. This right. whole this song was run into the dirt right. over the last year. Right. And I think I think that all goes into the concept of it. Like I think there's a complete meaning behind him choosing that yeah, beat. and it goes. Right. It, it fits well with the rest of everything else. I just don't ever want to hear. I don't ever need to hear that song again. I don't ever, ever need to hear that beat ever again. Ever. Like, I don't ever need to hear exchange ever. ever again. Like I'm totally fine without it. So if mm-hmm. I could have heard that beat, uh, I mean that song with another beat, then cool. And just to go back to your point, I guess one of the reasons that he didn't have false prophets on the album is because that's somebody else's beat. So that is from a Joey Badass record. So mm-hmm. I'm assuming that's why it's not on. Cole's album but overall I think it's a dope concept I think once um, once I have the opportunity to really really sit with it and like really digest and dissect what he's saying on the album I have full right. um, I like what he's saying Yeah, I, mean, I like I, what he's saying it's just not what I expected initially and once right. I got over that I was able to get into it more. right so new releases that's it Cole was the last one mm-hmm. I guess let's get into today's topic like let's get into the actual topic of the show like new releases was cool but let's talk about what we really here to talk about break it down well let's talk about like where this topic came from so for years years and years i have been holding a flag right Mm -hmm. so the flag that i have been holding is that 1987 was the best year in hip-hop and up until recently i just realized that my reasoning behind holding that flag was incorrect. And what was the reasoning? <laughs> so my reason for saying that 87 was always the best year in hip hop 
was because Big Daddy Kane, of course, is my favorite rapper of all times. Mm-hmm. And I always thought that 87 was the year that I fell in love with hip hop. Come to find out, it was actually 88, believe it or not. 87, or 88, I should say, was the first time that I heard um, Raw. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, but for at least 20 to 25 years, <laughs> I thought that happened Good in job. 87. So whenever people would ask me what the best year in hip hop was, I associated everything that came out in 88 with 87. You were just a little confused. I was confused. So now the question is, was 87 really the best year in hip hop? I mean, it's definitely arguable. 87 um, just had so many releases and not just releases, but so many important debuts mm-hmm. in hip hop. Right. That is definitely something that you can argue. Right. It's, it's not anything far fetched at all. Right. So the only thing close to 87 that, um, again, over the years that I've been able to compare the two or the only year that we I think we can really compare to 87 would have to be. 94 because again up until recently i had to really sit back and say well maybe 87 or 88 they those weren't the best years maybe 94 was the best year and really those 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 spans of years um just carry so much heat with them so like 87 88 mm-hmm. and 93 94, 94 95. 95 right 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 so much right but so, we can only we're going to just pick Two right, years right, right. to compare and contrast. Right. So this this episode is going to be what was the best year in hip hop? Was it nineteen eighty seven or nineteen ninety four? Right or nineteen ninety four? Then maybe a little bit later we can go back and kind of pick the runner up and you know kind of figure out what what other years were so impactful in hip hop they could be mentioned in this conversation. So many. Yeah. So, but for today we're talking about eighty seven versus, versus ninety four. Okay. All right, so let's, I guess let's talk about 87. So, 87, you talked about debuts. There were so many dope albums that came out in 1987. So many artists who were monumental to the culture came out in 87 that it can't be ignored that just the impact of the year and what it meant to hip hop and what it meant to what we have and where we are right now. Definitely. So, in 87, I'm 10 years old. Okay. And I'm in grade school. Okay. And I'm really just starting to fall in love with hip hop. Mm-hmm. And I'm totally the one girl on the bus that was exchanging tapes with all the little boys on the bus. Like we had to get all this music circulated. Right. Um, I had my older aunt would always make me the tapes that she would get from Columbia House. Mm-hmm. You know, I get the dub tape. Right. And then I go to school. With right. That. Absolutely. So in 87. She paid a penny for them joints. She, 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 she had probably 500 paid it. CDs for three cents. <laughs> She probably didn't pay that. <laughs> Fake address and everything. Like, if you never had the Columbia House CD joint that you sent back, man, and they just blessed you with like mad tapes and just, oh my goodness. And then when you get real, like you gotta use your, you gotta use a different name, and you gotta switch it up on them. But you go, you should take the little penny up to the paper, and put that joint in an envelope <laughs> and mail it back. Oh man, you ain't lived life if you ain't experienced that. True story. One time my father told me if I got straight A's, I could get 20 
tapes mm. that I wanted, whatever tapes I wanted. Blessings on blessings on blessings. From Columbia House. True story. Only time I've ever had straight A's in my entire <laughs> career. <laughs> in my entire school career. Straight A's. Showed up with the paper like receipts. <laughs> Voila. All right. <laughs> Run me my Columbia House. How much, I wonder how much you had to pay for them 20 joints. Like two cents. <laughs> <laughs> like like two cent. Like I, like what's the business? What was the business model for Columbia the Columbia House uh, joints? Like nobody. I mean, paid. the whole the whole thing was you were supposed to keep having to pay for all right, these but tapes. Nobody, but nobody did. Paid. I don't like, know anybody who was like, yeah, I paid full price for this NWA <laughs> tape in 1989 from Columbia House. You got like, your nah. ten initial joints or however many they were, and then you switch names and addresses. Exactly, man. Listen, when my cousin they didn't my, ask you for a social. shout out to cousin Dwayne. I think <laughs> on on this podcast, like on these episodes, I'm a, we gonna talk about my cousin Dwayne a lot because like that was my influence, my musical influence. But when he put me on to the fact that you could just switch your name. <laughs> and just send the, like the same address, just with a different name and a penny. Oh man, it was a ball game. Right. So shout out to Columbia House. But 1987, like I said, um, not, well, the thing that 97 and 84 really have in common is just the amount of monumental debuts. Mm-hmm. So in 87, we had Public Enemies debut. Right. Yo, bum rush, rush the show. Rush the show. Right. We had uh, BDP. Mm-hmm. Criminal, Criminal minded. minded. Right. We had Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince mm-hmm. rock the house. We had Ice T, Ron Pace, right. um, Eric B and Rakim paid in full. Uh, Heavy D and the Boys, Living Large, mm-hmm. just like monumental debuts. Right. And even at the young age of ten, all of these debuts really, really just infiltrated my life. Mm-hmm. Um, Yo, bro, Yo, bum rush the show. Public Enemy. While it's not my favorite Public Enemy album, it. It's just important because they came out, they were so different, they really set the tone and let you know what they were going to be about and what they were about for mm-hmm, their entire mm-hmm. career yeah. up, to, up till now. Yeah. You had, you know, Public Enemy number one on there. Mm-hmm. Um, just, you hadn't seen anything like Public Enemy. My Uzi like weighs they a came, ton. Right, My Uzi weighs a ton. Um, they came out looking like a black army. Right, right. Shout out to Professor Griff. Like, Professor Griff doesn't get enough... <laughs> You don't get enough credit, man. Like, I kicked Professor Griff out of the group because of some Look, stuff man, he said. Once he, once he made those comments. <laughs> he was out of there. But, you know, one thing about Yo, Yo Bun Rush, the show that stands out to me is the Bomb Squad's production. Like, when you look at the impact that their production had on, like, hip-hop, like, just heavy samples, layered samples, a lot of scratching on the record, just a lot of different sounds. Like, when you hear, like, when um, Still Number One comes on and you just hear that that noise... In mm-hmm. the beginning of it, and it's just like what, like what is this? Like it automatically grabs your attention, and also really heavily, you know, Rick Rubin esque. Like definitely Rick Rubin plus them, you know, made for what it turned out to be. Yeah. Um, you had like we said, Criminal Minded. I mean, I dare you to name a more impactful <laughs> debut album. Criminal Minded gave us, you know, the bridge is over. Right. Criminal Minded, the title mm-hmm. track. Uh, P is free. P is free. Yeah. Sometimes. <laughs> Uh, South Bronx and Nine Millimeter. Mm. I mean, that's a really solid debut. Yeah, and when you look at Criminal Minded, one of the things that you have to to look at is that um, the Bridge Is Over is one of, if not the hardest disc records of all right. times. And we need a whole another episode episode on right. disc records. Like you know, I've heard stories of people from New York who say that 
you know, when you would ride around at that time, like that would be the only song that you would hear people playing. I'm sure. In New York City, outside of Queens, of course, but anywhere else in any other borough, like the bridges over was rocking. Right. So you had you had public enemy coming out and saying, like, we're very black. We're very militant. Right. Like and then you had BDP. Mm hmm. Saying the same in a different way. Right. You know, hitting you on the educational aspect and, you know, intelligent, black, and a little bit militant. Mm-hmm. So the combo of those two, you know, really did a lot for just what blackness was in hip hop. Mm-hmm. Just um, propelling that. Yeah. Um, we had, and then we, we, you know, flip it and have a little bit more fun with Jazzy Jeff and Fresh Prince. And Rock the House, the the single, Rock the House, is literally my favorite Jazzy Jeff and Fritz, Fresh Prince song ever. Oh, wow. Ever. Like, more than Summertime, you know, Girls Ain't Nothing But Trouble was mm. on there as well. But Rock the House, when that comes on, there's an immense joy that happens that is just um, typically unattainable. Right. Like, that song would... Um, Ready Rock mm-hmm. and Jeff and just you usually don't talk about Fresh Prince or Will Smith as we now um, call him Mr. Yeah. Smith. We don't talk about him in a lyrical way ever, but just the way he was able to carry that song, it, it's, it's something special. That's my, it's like my favorite Fresh Prince and Jazzy Jeff jam. All right, what else we got? Eric B and Rakim paid in full. Paid in full. What's more important than that? No, can I just say that every Every album that came out in 1987, every song almost you could do the WAP to. Like, can I just throw it out there? Like, I don't think well, there's you know, a song. That is the <laughs> national dance of each. But when I tell you, like, as I was as I was preparing for this episode, and like I was going through albums and songs, I was like, yo, every song that I'm listening to, the WAP, I could just throw it right in there. Like, it would fit. Mm-hmm. Like, and even with Eric B and Rakim. <laughs> like, even though you ain't never gonna see Rakim no, no never rock. ever in life like you would never see Rakim Allah doing any sort of dance moves but but I could still break it you, down you can still break mm-hmm. it down so you know when I listen to that like that really reminded me of how dope that album is and was it ushered in a whole new way of looking at what rhyming could be right. and what lyricism could be right right right. i think rockham definitely set the bar because prior to him no one was rhyming that way like no one really had the wordplay no one was rhyming that Not i don't want to say i don't want to say aggressive but it was just like he was, it was serious he, he was serious it was and he, serious. he used his voice as an instrument mm-hmm. you know it was kind of you know he's classically trained and he can play Jazz. like 13 different instruments right. and all of that stuff so when you listen to it Especially now, you can go back and, and just hear how he's he just goes and, and gets in certain pockets and you know just kind of weaves and and goes through different you know different different parts of songs. And what's crazy is that you know he'll he'll tell you I've heard him say that um, when they made that record, you know they kind of just sat down and it only took them like an hour or so to make each song and the the rhymes when he that we hear now he's actually reading those rhymes like they weren't rhymes that he memorized like they just kind of sat down and he is reading each rhyme that you hear um on that album so i can believe that we're talking about nothing but classics here right and just just for paid in full like the production on paid in full has to be 
recognized also, you know, when you look at um, the role that Marley Marl Marl played, Marl. right, played in the production of that. And it, it was just dope. Like, like I said, Rakimi really, really set the bar, like really set the bar. Now, there's one thing that I have to say about Paid in Full that I just noticed recently. What's that? Eric B's cuts on the songs are really bad. Really? They're so bad. <laughs> like, Why would you say that? <laughs> it's cuts. Like when you compare. I'm not cosigning that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Listen, when you compare. You jump out that window on your own. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll step out there. But the cuts that Eric B did, they were so <laughs> basic and just so. The cuts mm. on paid and full. Just go back and listen. Just listen to I'm the scratches. Have to consult some of my cutologists. I mean, just just listen to the scratches. They were a little basic. Like when you compare, like just the scratches that were on some of the other albums. Like, oh, man. <laughs> I'm just saying that, 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 that. Hey, maybe that's just me, but yeah. I, I I'll need another listen for for that. But overall, such a classic. Right. Um, but we're not done yet. We're not even done not with done. the debuts nope. of 1987. And, and this isn't every single one. These We're just highlighting some of the ones that were right, right, right. more important to us. Um, yeah, Heavy D and the Boys. Right. And large. Heavy D and the Boys, yeah. Um, Heavy D also brought a fun element, but like he wasn't no sucker. Right. Like, it, right. It, he, he just fit. He yeah, just I mean, fit. he was all about a party. Right. Yeah. All about a party. Um, I also want to point out, because we'll get into... Uh, LL Cool J bigger and deafer in a minute because that wasn't his date. He was that right. wasn't a debut for right. him. But one of the big things about bigger and deafer was the introduction to the rap ballad <laughs> with oh, I yeah. Need Love. Oh, yeah, yeah, but yeah, I want to yeah. point out that Heavy D had a little ballad, a little joint. Yeah, Heavy D is still uh, your girl in a minute. Like, don't get it messed up. <laughs> don't you know? Yeah, 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 he'll steal your girl in a minute. Go back and revisit Don't You Know on Living Large. And I mean, they didn't call him the overweight lover for nothing. And here, I'll be sure struggle crooning in the background. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. I'll be sure to struggle crooning all through the song. His falsetto um, was on a thousand which, notes. Which I can appreciate. I, I appreciate a good I'll be sure struggle crooning. Right, 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 right. <laughs> so we had that. We had Heavy D um, and the boys. But just a, a note on Heavy D, I think we have to talk about Teddy Riley's influence on that project and just like the early New Jack Swing sound. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, which it wasn't New Jack Swing yet, but you know you can you can kind of hear some of that same like some of the same sounds that we hear on the show and some of Teddy's other earlier stuff. When you look at um, what he did on Living Large, like again feel- Teddy was 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 mastering what would be known as the New Jack Swing, and you know he, he and Heavy just kind of just for for years to come they just made. Such music, dope music together, right. yeah. I feel like we are going to need a New Jack Swing episode soon. We're working on that. I really want to do, do a New Jack Swing episode. Yes. I really want to do a New Jack Swing episode because one of my comments, and maybe this could be an episode that we do, but I really want to know, I'm really interested in hearing what people think, like what was the better sound, the Teddy Riley New Jack Swing sound or the Pharrell and Chad Neptunes sound? Mm, two different eras, two different... Yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to reveal my choice yet, but let's just throw that out. A in versus. The, a good just, old versus. Let's just throw it out in the atmosphere. Like, what was the better sound? Teddy's new Jack Swing in his prime or Pharrell and Chad's Neptune sound in their prime? But we, I mean, we don't have to think about it right now. But <laughs> yeah, let's not dwell on that. Cause I see your my, wheels turning. Um, right. 
So um, those are some of the releases, um, the debut releases. But last but not least, let's not even forget about um, Ice-T, Ron Pace. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you listened, if you were a big Ice-T fan back then. I've but never heard of Ice-T, complete album in my life. No, I was all about Ice-T. So Ron Pace was Ice-T's debut album. I mean, it gave us six in the morning. Wait, you were listening to Ice-T when you were 10? Yes. When you talking about like selling crack and cooking crack and yes, <laughs> and you were ten. I didn't know what it was about. Jeez but Louise. six in the morning had that cadence <laughs> right. that drew me in. Like oh, okay, six in the morning. Right. No, I get it. <laughs> I get it. But <laughs> that's just as an adult. Like I don't want my ten year old listening to. I mean, six in the morning, police at my door. I'm not gonna tell you how many tapes I got confiscated over the years. I'm it. not even gonna tell you how at one point Taryn confiscated my De La Soul. Three Feet High and Rising right. CD because there was a little ditty on there called De La Orgy. Oh, my goodness. And that was sixth grade. Right. So she confiscated it, put it in her drawer, and then I had to, you know, sneak back in there and get it later. I mean, as but a parent, I can't say that I blame her at this point. <laughs> <laughs> like as a parent, as a 10-year-old. I was then, a very mature 10. Right, right, and I right. I was, you know, musically beyond my years. No, I get it. I get it. But as a parent, I'm... I don't want my child listening to nothing that has the word orgy in it. Like, I, <laughs> that's not the type of party that we having over here. Like it's not going down like that. I mean, there was there was that there was De La Orgy, and then at one point there was um, on the Adventures of Slick Rick. There was Little Indian Girl. They were all in the same vein, like mm. a hot mess that anybody in grade school shouldn't have been listening right. to. But I was front and center for right. it. And then there's Ice T, Six in the Morning. Ron Pays, which is a genius title because obviously he's coming from the streets. Crime Pays, right. Crime Pays, right. no now Ron Pays. Right. Um, a lot of people argue that that was kind of the birth of gangster Rap with mm. Ice T there. Birth um, of gangster Rap on the West Coast or as a whole? Well, the funny thing is if you list, if you go back and listen to Ron Pays, Ice T is very obviously uh, very West Coast and really taking you through life on the streets um you know in la but the musically it sounds very east coast mm-hmm. but ice himself credits you know when i heard um someone asking him about you know that being the birth of gangster rap and he was like well no really because i stole that whole cadence from schoolie d i was just gonna say that yeah that's just what i was thinking about so yeah. if you yeah. look at if you listen to six in the morning and then go back and listen to schoolie d psk right it's, it's a copy same. yeah no that, i was just thinking that when you said that it was the birth that's why i asked well that's why i say a East lot Coast. of people credit right. that as the birth of gangster rap but ice himself is like no schoolie d schoolie right. d that was another really important debut album mm-hmm. with that east coast production because the production on Ron page was um africa islam mm-hmm. and he came up under bambata so it was very west coast topics very east coast sound so yes i mean i, I think 87 was really as far as debut albums like how how many more classics could you pack into you, like can you imagine this many classics coming out this year um no like that's that's a lot. No, and that's just the debut albums that we've talked about. Right, that's we just haven't the talked about you know LL, Bigger and Deffer, right? Um, Steady B, What's My Name, Cool Mo D, How You Like Me Now. These are all albums that mm-hmm. came out. Danny Dane with Fame. Yeah, Danny Dane with Fame. LL, Bigger and Deffer, like we said, kind of introduced us to the to the rap ballad. Mm-hmm. Um, with I Need Love, I feel like my fa- my favorite songs were number one was Candy. Mm-hmm. I feel. Good that right. I used to be on the bus <laughs> getting it. Doing the WAP, I'm sure. <laughs> and go cut creator go. Like those were my jams. 
Um, do you remember the Michael Jackson bad LL bad controversy? No. Around that time, you don't remember that? I don't. Like where Mind LL you, I was seven years old. <laughs> I have no recollection like, of any LL type of... Was I didn't coming watch the news back with then. Bad, and then Michael was coming out with Bad, and there was like a controversy because whose Bad was the valid Bad. Oh. Obviously, they the had bad? nothing to do with each other, right. but LL was coming out with a Bad, and Michael was coming out with a Bad, and I just remember that being like a thing. No, I don't remember that at all. Oh, I, was, I was seven years old in 87, <laughs> so... Nah. Get with it. I'm sorry. Um, so 87 was a really good year. So mm-hmm. as we look at 87, I think the highlights would be Public Enemy, uh, BDP, Jazzy Jeff, LL, Ice-T, Eric Ben Rakim, mm-hmm. Heavy D, Kumo D, uh, How You Like Me Now. like the whole year. Right. So, I mean, I guess we got to talk about battles. So as we're looking at it, like we're talking about Kumo D versus LL, mm-hmm. we, we can throw that in there with the conversation of BDP versus... The entire borough of Queens, like, <laughs> you know, against MC Shan, the Juice Crew and everybody else who would have stepped in their way at that point. So two, right. definitely two classic battles going on in the year of 1987. And Shan had a release that year, right? Shan had a release. Yes. Yes. Down by law. So 87 was just jam packed. 87 was a dope year. So 80, 87. Now you see why I could make the point that 87 was the dopest year in hip hop, right? But you, yeah, but you were basing it on. <laughs> it doesn't matter what I was basing it on. It was still a valid argument. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Right. Um, so now we move on to 1994. Now we move on to 1994. Also, many, many important debuts. I mean, you have Illmatic. Illmatic. Okay, let's say this. Let me just say this. Illmatic is the greatest body of hip-hop work ever created. So, there's that. <laughs> just want to throw that out there. <laughs> there's nothing greater than Illmatic in my book. So, it's going to be... T- if if Illmatic was the only album that came out in 1994... would already be winning. It would already be lit. <laughs> um, so, we had Illmatic. We had Ready to Die. We had Method Man with his solo debut. To Cal, right? We had Outkast. Southern Playlistic Southern Cadillac Playlistic, music. Yeah. Right. We had the Fugees, Blunted on Reality. We had Craig Mack, Project Funk, Funk the World. Mm-hmm. We had um, Warren G, Regulate, G-Funk mm-hmm. era. Right. We had OC, Word, Word Life. Life. Yeah. Um, so important. Um, we had J. Rue the Damages, mm. Sun Rises in the East. Mm. Keith Murray, Most Beautifulest Thing. Right. And those are, again, just the debuts. Just the debuts. So, 1994, now I'm, like, in high school, and I'm growing up, I'm becoming an adult, sort of, Mm. I'm figuring out life. All of these albums are, like, the soundtrack to me growing up. Right. So, they're all super special. Well, in 94, let's see, I'm also, I'm in high school, but I'm just getting to high school. I'm just starting my freshman year, and... The like again, not all of these albums were important to me at the time, um, but the majority of them were, or a lot of them were. Um, you forgot to mention Shaheem, aka the Rugged Child. He debuted in '94. Okay, let's not, let's not forget about him. Okay, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, just those debuts. You know, a lot of those meant a lot to me, also, uh, especially Illmatic, of course, especially Ready to Die, OC's Word Life. Just you know, you lack the minerals and vitamins, iron, iron, <laughs> and the, like the niacin, like that. That line alone just would blow yeah, my mind. Winning. Yeah, like that would blow my mind every time I would hear it. Did we say the brat? We said the brat. Um. Oh, the brat funkified. Yeah, the brat I funkified. Mean, ah, 
The album may not be a classic, but that song <laughs> is like when I tell you I had the brat. I mean, the Funkified was a was a certified Listen, hit. Listen, like, I have Funkified. That don't recorded. mean I wanted to hear the whole album. No, 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 no. But I had it recorded on VHS from an episode of Rap City, <laughs> and I promise you, I watched that video in 1994 a total of 975,233 <laughs> times in a row. Like I would come home from school and I would play my my VHS tape and. I would just rock out. Like, that record was so crazy to me when it first came out. Now, granted, I don't know any of the other songs probably from <laughs> that album. I couldn't tell you couldn't another tell you. song no from clue. that album. No idea what else was on that tape. But, <laughs> Funkified, though, <laughs> that that Funkified, oh, my goodness. Yeah, that was that was a problem. So, also, Gravedigger's Six Feet Deep mm-hmm. was a debut, um, which I always thought Gravedigger's, I, I really wasn't into that album. I don't know if you were. You know, but, I'm always here for a good Woo affiliate. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm was, always here for a good Woo affiliate. Yeah, um, I thought it was a good idea. I, had, I Yeah, I had... I, I rocked out to Gravediggers a few times. Yeah, so Gravediggers, even though not... I wasn't really into them like that. They did, I mean, yeah, that single... They were part of that time. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. Whole, but you gotta... Like, Wu-Tang is taking over with 97 side groups time. Right, did, but didn't they, like, coin the phrase, like, horrorcore? Remember that? Like hip, that, I think that was Russell. That was yeah, Russell's yeah, yeah. That sounds about right. Like, what? <laughs> yeah, horrorcore. Yeah, like, yeah. No, that sounds like that sounds like Russell. That. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, I think '94 to me was such a dope year, and one of the things that I think is important to recognize is that I think '94 was it has to be considered as one of the best years of for DJ Premier, like musically. Mm. When you look at that first, that hard to earn Gangstar album, which came yeah. out in March of 94. Yeah. Like that album, man, like there's so many to me, there's so many notable songs on that album that I probably played from front to back Several in 94. Um, and that album was, that album was really important to the culture because number one, it was, you know, when we got to hear a, f- a full album of like the new premiere and I don't want to say new because he's always been you know the dopest producer on the planet but those beats were just so hard and it wasn't like it wasn't like a jazzy sound right. that we heard from him in the past it was hard um and just like notable songs like Dwick was on that album mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. like Gangstar's got to be the short shot <laughs> like Nicest Move has got to be the short shot like what else could you ask for Speak Your Clout I mean I can't think of another Cold song of the Streets Cold of the Streets um, I'm trying to think of another song where, like, on Speak Your Clout, I love the way that the beat changes. And you have uh, Guru, you got Jerry the Damager, you got Group Home, and just a dope song, man. And then Premier also was responsible for doing uh, some of the production on Illmatic, which, again, right. the greatest body of hip-hop work ever created. He did Represent, he did New York State of Mind, Memory Lane, and, um, and then, oh, um, Back to Gangstar. Da- oh. Back to Gangstar, Mass Appeal. Like, yeah, Mass Appeal. When it's growing like grass with the Mass Appeals. Like, how can we forget about that? And then he did, of course, the entire J. Rue album. You mentioned J. Rue the Damager. Come Clean. Come Clean. Classic. Oh, oh my gosh. Like, it's just. I had listened to that 30 times in a row. Right. Like, I listened to. I listened to. And this Come is. Come Clean is genius. Premier just. Like, he just kind of came into his own in 94 to me. Um, and then for Biggie, of course, he did um, Unbelievable. Right. Unbelievable is. One of my favorite Biggie songs ever. Right. 94 was the year, to me, was definitely the year of premiere. Um, so that's one of the things that kind of sticks out to me about 94. 94 also gave us um, There Is a Dark Side. 
Dare is a dark side. Let's talk about Dare is a dark side. What are your thoughts on Dare is a dark side? Well, you're the biggest Redman fan. You're not a Redman fan? I am, definitely. Oh. I'm saying you have always made note that you're a huge Redman fan. Yeah, I'm a huge Redman fan. Dare is a dark side is not my favorite Redman album. I'll say that. Now, Dare is a dark side. Remember when they had the month of the man? Dare is a dark side and Takao came out, I believe, on the same. They definitely came out in the same month. I don't know if it was the same day or not. Um, Talk about that in the last. You mentioned Month of the Man in the last right, episode. Right, right, right. So when I went into the, the record store that day, my mom told me that I could only get one tape, and I chose There's a Dark Side over to Cal. And There's a Dark Side was. Oh, that was a decision. Right. It was. <laughs> it was. It was hard. I like There's a Dark Side. Is is it my favorite? No, that's probably gonna be Muddy Waters. Right, but let me, my my decision. Let's get back to that. I regretted it immediately. <laughs> Why? I regretted it after the first play. Why? You I regretted just... to cow that you had to cow? No, I picked there I picked there's a dark side. Oh, you picked there's a dark right. side. Right, I picked there's a dark side and over to cow. Over to cow and I regretted it immediately. I mean, but there was um tonight's the night remix. I was always in the Superman Lover. Superman Lover. I right. always love Superman Lover. Um can't wait. Mm-hmm. There's some there's some good songs on There's a Dark Side, but there are also some songs that are just like, eh, I could do without these. There's a lot. It's like 20 songs. Yeah. So I feel like they probably he probably could have, it really it could have been like 12 songs. Right. And it probably would have been a more solid album. But, I mean, Funk Dr. Spock, you really... You really just don't ever go wrong with him. Yeah. No, I mean, no, I, I get it. But There's a Dark Side just is not it's my... It's not your favorite. Definitely not my I favorite. I get it. I would step out there and say it's my least favorite uh-huh. Redman album up until like the 2000s. Mm-hmm. Like, it's definitely my least favorite. So what your, is your favorite, Muddy Waters? My favorite is absolutely yeah. Muddy Waters. Muddy yeah. Waters by far. Yeah, my favorite is absolutely Muddy Waters. But I think There's a Dark Side was solid. I just feel like he could have scaled it down and it could have been like... 12 or 13 songs. Yeah, i probably say after that first listen, when I got it from the record store that day, I probably only listened to it two other times in my life. And mm. one of those times was last week. So, oh, okay. <laughs> so, yeah. So, um, another thing that I think is notable, notable about 94 is that a lot of these albums that came out in 94, I think 94 must have been the year of the skits. Like, because there's so many albums with skits. Listen, like Redman had Wu Tang came out right. and changed the skit game. Right, right, right. Keep feeding it you, was feeding on. you, feeding you. It was on. Like Redman had Doctor Trevis. Um, Hard to Earn had a skit on it where people are just calling into Premier's voicemail. The voicemail right, skit right. and that continued on for right, for years. Right, right. The voicemail skit. Yeah. I mean, that's the just like. MJB. Right, right, right. Like Nas is on the voicemail. One dude calls Premier's voicemail. I'm like, yo, you know, I was just calling to check up on you. I wanted to go see if you was trying to go get a haircut or something. And I was like, what? Like, who calls somebody and asks them if they try to go get a haircut? Like, you don't call your friends and see about nah. Them to get a haircut. <laughs> nah, I mean, maybe that was cool in 94. Like, everybody just meet up and go get a haircut. But I'm not calling my man and being like, yo, I'm trying to go see if you cry. I'm trying to see if you want to go get a haircut or something. Like, no, that's not happening. And then even on Common, Resurrection, he had, uh, that's the first time we hear Pops rap. Right. Um, Common's dad. So it's just so many different skits. Like, like literally every album as I was preparing for this episode. Something? That, um, that skit 
with everybody calling into the voicemail. Mm-hmm. I love that skit. Oh my god! <laughs> I promise. I let it play. Right, right, Cause right. Because they, because they, every call is like, all right, chill. Right, all right, chill. Yes, yes, yes. yes. I love it. That's I actually will, the name of the song. Yes, like, I will sit there and listen to it every right. every call ends with, all right, right chill. Right, all right, chill. And I'm like, I'm gonna bring that back. I'm right. gonna start saying that when I get off the phone. All right, chill. All right, chill. Yeah, like Nas so, calls up and he's just like, all right, chill. When I talk to you tomorrow after work and I say, all right, chill. I, I'll know what's up. Uh-huh. Uh, let's see, what else about 94? Diggable Planets, Blowout Comb. Diggable Planets, Blowout Comb. So that album was 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 pretty big for them. Let me tell you, um, the song Ninth Wonder Alone mm-hmm. made the album for me. Is that's that what, Jazzy that's... Joyce on the wheels? Jazzy Joyce knowing smoother? Better than a '94 Land Cruiser. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Ninth Wonder is is one of my is is one of my that's is that my favorite Diggable Planet song? That's probably my favorite Diggable Planet song. Mm-hmm. Um, so they had you know they had a couple of they had a couple of really dope joints up there. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a good second offering. They kept their sound. Um, so th- you know that was notable as well. Right, right, right. So I guess we have to talk about. Oh, well, two things. Let me talk about this first. So, Bone Thugs and Harmony. Right. Thugs their debut Rubbish. album, yeah. Creeping on a Come Up. Come Up. Oh, my goodness. That, that title always throws me because it sounds like it should be like, I don't know, like a like an escape title or something. Didn't they have an album called that, something about Come Up? Right. It's that title, I never remember that that's the name of that Bone right, Thugs album. Right, right. I always think that it's called Thuggish Ruggish. Now that's the album with Thuggish Ruggish Bone and and first of the first month. of the month. Yeah, were you a Bone Thugs and Harmony fan? I liked Bone songs. Mm. I definitely liked um, first of the month. I can't say that the I was into the whole album, but I definitely used to um, bang first of the month on the way to school. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And also Thuggish Ruggish Bone, just because I used to. Um, like to I liked Easy's part. I really liked Easy's part. One of my favorite part of Thuggish Ruggish Bone. Making sure the popo don't see me. That's not my favorite part. You want to know my favorite part is what? And Tasha, Tasha <laughs> Busy's in the house. Tasha sound like she she wasn't even in the church choir. Right, Tasha right. sound like she was somebody's cousin. Yeah. And she was in the middle of getting her hair done, and some and they came in and were like, Tasha, could you sing? Or either this? she was doing someone's hair. She was braiding someone's hair, probably. No, Tasha sounded like she was definitely the one getting her hair braided because I just picture her on the mic with her hair half braided. You know, I Googled Tasha about a year ago, right? Like, I, I was on a hunt to Why find did Tasha. You Google Tasha. Because I'm like, hip hop's Encyclopedia Brown. Huh? What happened? You, you want to know what happened to Tasha? Yeah, I found out. I don't remember what happened to her, but she's chilling. Like, she good. Like, she's, she's like, <laughs> she, you know, still trying to make it out here, you know? Oh, still, still she, putting out music. I don't know about that, but she's just trying to make it in the world. Like, mm-hmm. she's just trying to get her life. Mm-hmm. But she's definitely out there doing her thing. So, well, shout, shout out, out to Tasha. Shout out to Tasha. 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 <laughs> <laughs> and uh, another notable release of 1994 would have to be Outkast. Um, obviously, super important. Outkast is super important. You don't you don't have any words can on we, Outkast? I think we should implement a segment and call it we can call it hip hop hip hop confession. Now hip hop confession, I'll say this in full disclosure, hip hop confession was actually already a thing. It was a show on MTV that Skills had. Um shout out to my guys uh, at Elusive Media. They did a show with Skills and I always wanted to be on the show. So that you can confess this? So I can confess this amongst other things. So I'm thinking that maybe we can kinda have do you have any hip hop confessions? Like any? Like anything I'm that sure you, I'm sure I do. If I thought about it, 
Um, I have several. Yeah, I just would have to think about it. But I, you, this one, this episode, you got it. Okay, I'm, I'm going to implement. I'll come up with one for the next episode. Okay, I'm going to let everyone, all of our listeners know my hip-hop confession. Are they ready? And all I want to do is say that, um, I just want to say one thing. <laughs> the views expressed by Showtime do not represent East Rock. You know how you say that real fast right, like, at the end of the commercial? It. I mean, I'm, I'm not ashamed of this confession, though. I'm totally not ashamed, but... My hip-hop confession is that I have never owned or heard in its entirety an Outkast album. And there's prayer for people like you. No, 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 no prayer. No, no prayer. I'm, I, okay. no. I'm sorry. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm not really an Outkast fan. I mean, I can... I mean, you aren't. You're very, um, you're very boom bap. Definitely. You're very central... And I don't want to say one note, but you're very specific. I mean, I, I love boom bap hip hop. I was raised on East again. Shout out to Cousin Dwayne. We talked about him earlier. We're going to try to get Cousin Dwayne on the episode. But I love boom bap hip hop. And that's what I was raised on. So and see, I like all hip hop. You know, I love lots of West Coast hip hop. I definitely love Southern hip hop. That's fine. Even when you dip over into the Midwest, I mean, whatever. I mean, I'm all I'm all about uh, MC Breeze song every now and then. Like, that's cool, but I'm just I, I can't I can't explain it. Like, I'm just not really just not Outkast fan. No, no, don't get me wrong. Outkast has songs that I think are really dope. You know what I mean? But I was never into I was never an Outkast. I was never into that Southern Atlanta sound. Um, so. Well then, I'll 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 take I'll take it from here. Then okay, you got on it. the um, <laughs> Southern playlistic. So it must have come out. What month? Can you can you look and see what month? April. So, April, right? So I was going to say it must have come out toward the end of the '94 school year because I remember senior year I had my car. And senior year is when I was playing it in the car on the way back and forth to school. So that we had already had the summer with it. And I was playing it on the way back and forth to school daily. Mm. Like it was different. It was new. The video made you the video made you want to be there. Shout out to Puffy for what was that his video debut? That was his video debut, yes. That was Puffy's video debut. Um, it just what it sounded like is just it, I just wanted to hear it. I wanted to hear it. I wanted to hear more. I mean, from Southern Playlistic, to, that it had that just more like that funky, right? That that guitar, that bass line. No, I will say this: Crumbling Herb was my uh, right. I will say this: one thing that I really loved in the early days about that Outcast video was and I didn't realize this is was who this was until recently was Rico Wade talking and the way that he carried himself in the video when he was like all the players, all the hustlers, <laughs> number them lacks, seventy sims. I'm talking about a black man him here. Like I really was into that. <laughs> well I mean for somebody that wasn't into it, you got that down. Right, right. <laughs> that's but again, that's one of the songs that I was a fan of. Like, but when people have the conversation about Andre three thousand being one of the dopest lyricists, like I don't, I don't subscribe to that. Like, yeah, we had a conversation recently with 
friends where we kind of ganged yeah. up on you about how dope three stacks was yeah you, know, I don't, just, you weren't here for it yeah i can't subscribe to that like andre 3000 is nowhere in my top 10 um of of mcs but hey i mean he's got some he's got some verses that i think are cool but as far as like being on my list and like outcast is three stacks is everything outcast is not on my list of, of favorite groups of all time so let's That's throw that okay. out there everybody's entitled to what they like yeah i mean you know it's cool they but, cool Southern Playalistic was um, just just a really important album, especially for that to be their debut, mm-hmm. and for us to just it, it was like it was just like one of those tapes you put on and you just ride out mm-hmm. like everything about it. I was I was just all about it. Right, right, right. Now, again, even though I wasn't necessarily into Outkast, another group that came out or not came out, but another group who had an album out that year was Pete Rock and CL Smooth. But before we move on, we also need to make note of the importance of organized noise. Definitely. On um, that Outkast album, nurturing and creating with them that sound. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that could be a whole other episode, organized noise, but just super important. Yeah. No, and I, I, I definitely, I'm a fan of you organized noise. Rico. <laughs> right. My man Rico. Yeah, all the players. Them with them lacks. Uh, I'm definitely a fan of all organized noise and their production, and I recognize, you know, what they brought. Like I just wasn't, I wasn't an outcast. Like, and if if you haven't, um, I'm sure all of our listeners have, but if you haven't checked out that organized noise doc um, on Netflix, you need to get right to that because it really um, goes into what went into making those early organized um, noise albums, whether it was Outkast. Goody Mob. Right. Really, really, really dope documentary. Right, right, right. So, also, 94, Pete Rock and Seal Smooth dropped the main ingredient, um, which is a super dope album. I agree. Um, I mean, first of all, is it true that Pete Rock and Seal Smooth are getting back together? I would say that's a safe bet. I follow I mean, CL, is it like, I mean, I I've follow Seal uh, Smooth on Instagram, I do and too. I see them together a lot now. And I feel like it's bubbling, but I right. feel like I'm getting my hopes up by right, right, right. believing no, I, that. So I, I just say that to say that you just, it, they had such a, a, a magical combination. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Many Green was such a dope album. The way that they blended, like, the jazz sound and Pete, the way Pete would chop samples, um, you know, joints like The Sun Won't Come Out, I Get Physical, um, The Main Ingredient. I, like, I still listen to that to this day. Like, I, I love that album. I definitely think that was a dope album. Um, and one thing I'm noticing as I look at, <laughs> as I look at the notes, The Lynch Mob came out in 94 <laughs> now gorillas in the mist let's talk about that well first of all you know what i'm about to say yes i do that is one of my brother's favorite, favorite. songs mine also um shout out to my brother houston that was one of his jams yeah. back in the still day still it again that's one of those one of those joints that i recorded on a vhs <laughs> from rap city and literally would play it every i feel like that used day. to come on jukebox a lot or something maybe i don't know but i had on a rap city the official official joint <laughs> like, <laughs> you know one of them is like serving life in jail for murder or something or bank robbery i don't know anything about yeah like i can like the, the main dude dudes. the main dude from the lynch mob do you know any of their names one of them's name is jd one of them is t-bone t-bone and that's jd right you, do you know that for real? <laughs> no, that's one of the part of the songs. Like, right? No, but I'm saying, like, I don't. I like after T-Bone. those Lynch Mob years, I don't recall anything else about them. Let's Google. But you can always do your Googles. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing my Googles right now. Okay, so the Lynch Mob members: Shorty, JD, 
T-Bone and somebody else. I don't know who he was, but I don't think he was in a group for long. All right, well, good for them. A little hip-hop history lesson for you. <laughs> now, I don't know which one is, is, is serving life in jail. Gorillas in the Mist was such a dope record. and I agree. It needs to be played more often and talked about in the conversation about classic hip-hop songs because it's dope. It really is. I, you don't really, and you don't hear it, like, even on... I never hear Gorillas in the Mist. When it's time for old school sessions. Never. Like, you just don't hear nope. it. Nope. Never hear Gorillas in the Mist. And I guess we got one last album to talk about from 94. Did we did we discuss Common Resurrection? We talked about we we mentioned it. No, we didn't. We can talk about Common. Um, Resurrection came out in ninety four. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is which is weird because uh, Twister's album had an album that came out in ninety four, and that was also called Resurrection. Twister's album was called Resurrection. Yeah, I didn't know that. So with both of them being from Chicago, I wonder how <laughs> Battle of the Resurrection. <laughs> right, isn't that something? Hmm. I mean, again, it, I've, I've never heard a Twister album in its entirety in my life, so I wouldn't know. I can't know. say that I have. Yeah. I've, I've, you know, I appreciate Twista on certain things, but no, I, I can't say that I've ever listened to an entire Twista album. Right, and just also notable about 94, Big Daddy Kane's Daddy's Home dropped, which was a later release for Kane, but we have to talk about that because that was the first time that I remember hearing Jay-Z on a record. It was right. after Hawaiian Sophie, of course. Um, I don't rec- I don't recall hearing Hawaiian Sophie while it was out. Whatever year that that song came out, I don't remember hearing it back then. Of course, I've heard it a million times now. You had um, Jay Z, we had Shaheen, you had Old Dirty Bastard, and Sauce Money, like all on one song. All on a song. Like yeah. that was super dope. Like Sauce Money is one of the most underrated MCs to me. So I always want to shout him out anytime I can because like he just body records back in those days. Um, but Jay Z was rapping. That fast That's rap style. Fast, One, right. two, check it a three, check it mm-hmm. a J, check it a A, check it a Y, you know. Definitely. Um, and even then, I don't think anyone knew that he would be what he is now. Mr. Sean Carter. Right. But it, I, can, I think it can be said that. S. Can, Carter. I, I think it can be said that Kane might have um, saw that coming because on that record, Jay-Z raps last. Mm-hmm. Let him and To let somebody rap to last. Let, on right. And, you know, of course, Jay would always going to tour with Kane and all mm-hmm. that stuff. But I think it, it, it has to be said that, you know, Kane might have had the foresight to say, this guy's going to be something. And that's why he put Jay-Z mm-hmm. last on the record and gave him the introduction to the world that he did. And I don't think that Kane gets enough credit for kind um, of putting Jay-Z in that on. position. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. So, 94, The Notorious B.I.G. Of course, Ready Did I Change the Culture of hip-hop as we know it in 94 when it came out do you remember like where you were what you were doing definitely i was again i was um in school in high school about to be a senior Mm -hmm. and i just remember riding up and down greenbrier parkway military highway um in chesapeake virginia playing ready to die every day like all of these tapes you know, literally almost let that tape rock till my tape pop. Yeah. So one of the things that, that I always think about when, when I hear, um, when I listen to Ready to Die is that I was in ninth grade and when I was, I was, I was taking PE and, you know, I was walking into the gymnasium for PE and I walked in, I opened the door. I was late, of course. I opened the door and everybody was already in there. So I walked in and I just screamed out, birthdays was the worst days. And the entire P.E. class 
like responded back. So we drink champagne, <laughs> champagne when we thirsty. Thursday. Like that was like that's how I knew that this guy that this album was yeah, just this Biggie fella might be on to something. Like, he really might be on to something. Like he's got it all figured out. It also just how I mean the album was really in a sense of hip hop it was really kind of hardcore. Mm-hmm. And then it had a whole other life just from the remixes. Right. I mean this is when like obviously with Puffy, mm-hmm. when remixes gave a whole other life mm-hmm. to the mm-hmm. album. Yeah, and you know, shout out to Easy Mo B for just creating the soundscape. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, creating that soundscape. Easy Mo B and the Hitman, and you know, like we said, Premier uh, did unbelievable. So, um, and then again, it's so many that came out in '94. We haven't even talked about Warren G. Regulate the G Funk era. Right. Again, not a product that I ever have ever listened to. I can't say that I was big on the whole thing, but just Warren G, I appreciated Warren G and I appreciated him even more so than for like his flow or his rapping or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, his production mm-hmm. is dope. And Warren G produced one of my favorite West Coast tracks to date, what's which that? is Endo Smoke. Oh, oh. Um, from what sound? What was that one? Um, Poetic Justice. Oh, I don't know. I want to say Poetic Justice soundtrack. Somebody correct me if I'm wrong, but to this day, um, I will sit at my desk listening to Endo Smoke when I need to tune out everybody at work. Right, right, right. So, yeah. I but don't know Warren any, G was just really dope um, production-wise, too. I don't know any songs from that tape other than Regulate. There was, um, no, there was, um, hold on, there was another one. I'm not saying it wasn't, I just don't know No, it. no, I'm just saying I can't think of it right this second. Because Nate Dogg and the G-Child were in need of something else. This DJ, that's what it was. This everywhere D- I look uh, and everywhere I see, this DJ be born G. G. You okay. know that one. I know that. So it, it wasn't like it produced, like, a whole lot of singles, but it definitely was worthy of mentioning. Okay. Um, anything else? Are we forgetting anything else? Uh, mm, I don't think we need to go into all of them, yeah. but Brand Nubian put out Everything is Everything. Mm-hmm. Master P, Ghetto's Trying to Kill Me. That first Roots EP from the ground up came out in 94. UGK, Super Tight. Um, there was just a lot. 94 just housed a lot of not only debuts, but just solid, solid yeah. projects. Yeah. Now we have to decide which year was the best. Was it... 1987 or was it 1994 and there's one other album that came out in 94 that we need to discuss but we'll talk about that as we introduced as we introduce our guests for the show right How's okay that? sure um so i don't know if i'm it, it probably is just depending on how i'm thinking about it because if i think about the foundations in hip-hop that had to be laid for these groups and these um, separate MCs to be so solid in 94, like they had to have these foundations in 87. Very true. But when I think about it, and so in that case, 87 is more important for the better year. Mm -hmm. But when I think about it in terms of the albums that I really, you know, when I'm starting to, Coming to my own, becoming an adult, getting older, growing into my own mindset. The albums that were really the soundtrack to my life in those critical years, then it's 94. Right. 
Um, so that's not really an answer. It's really not. It's, but I mean, you you have to give me an answer. Like the people want to know, what do you think? What does East Rock think? I'm gonna say 87. Wow. Just because you need the foundation, you have to have the foundation in order for us to even get to 94. With so all East this Rock heat. is going on record and saying that 1987 was the greatest year in hip hop. Is that what I'm hearing? Let me just. I don't know if I'm saying the greatest year in hip hop, but I'm saying. For this conversation <laughs> between these two, I'm gonna pick 87. Okay. Well, I'm gonna step out there. You have to have the foundation. I'm gonna step out on a limb and say that for this conversation, I'm going to oppose what you just said and say that 1994 is the greater year for several reasons. The foundation is good. I get it. We needed that. But the like pre- you couldn't have a Nas without a Rakim. I, very true. Very true. Just like you couldn't have a Michael Jordan without a Dr. J. Right? In that mm-hmm. same vein. You couldn't have a Mike Tyson without a Muhammad Ali. Mm-hmm. 1994 was such a hard year when you look at all of these releases. Mm-hmm. The lyrics were so much better. The production was so much better better well yeah it had time to evolve now i will say 94 the releases in 94 i don't know they have maybe a more special place in my heart because sounds like you're backtracking no i'm it not sounds backtracking like you're I'm backtracking still sticking with 87 sounds like you're trying to back. I'm sticking don't with my try foundation. to come on my side of the fence now you can have your side 94 first of all again illmatic it's- the greatest hip-hop body of work ever created Mm -hmm. dj premier the greatest hip-hop producer to ever touch an mpc or any sort of production equipment notorious big's ready to die arguably one of the best rappers of all times one of the best storytellers of all times Mm -hmm. um that alone like I, I I think that alone just speaks for '94 for me being the better year. I just criminal minded and paid in full just by themselves make '87 unstoppable. I can't put either one of those above Illmatic. No, I can't put. I mean, you know how I feel about <laughs> judging albums from different eras against each other. I know, but I, I don't do, subscribe but, to that at all. But you have to. But I'm gonna go with the foundation years just because. So once again, what you're saying is that we're a house divided. Yeah. How do how are we going to stay married? Is I'm wondering if you I mean, <laughs> all of these divisions, Samsung versus iPhone, mm-hmm. 87 versus 94, East Coast versus the South. How is this going to work? We're going to stay married because you could never <laughs> find another one. Facts though, facts. Like me, so so okay. So I guess we just have this conversation. We'll have we'll 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 call it a draw. How's Mm -hmm, that? mm -hmm. I'm still going with '94. So the last album that we have to address, since we're talking about '94, is Keith Murray. The most beautifulest thing in this world. It's just like that. Now Keith is our guest on this episode, and. Again, as I think about it, the most beautifulest thing in the world, I just think about recording that joint from Rap City and just continuously rocking out. The one thing, I don't care, it's been, what, 20 plus years? Whenever I see or hear Keith Murray, you know what I think of? Him with a razor 
under his tongue. <laughs> Classic in Murray. The freaking uh, Eric Sermon hostile video. Of course, that was my first introduction to Keith. But in that video, when the camera just like closes in on his face and he just opens his mouth, I'm like, like even back then, I was like, this guy's crazy. Mm-hmm. Like he's not anybody that you want to run up on. Anybody that you want to do anything to get on their bad side. But the contrast was he didn't come across super hard and... He came across super smart. Right. Just <laughs> lyrical <laughs> and intelligent. I was like, how did this guy know... Like, how does he know all these words? Mm-hmm. Like, how does he know, like... How did he make beautiful as the right. word? <laughs> he made that a word. How did he do that? Like, I, I think I've heard him say centrifugal in a rhyme before. Like, who could do that? So Keith Murray. So, yeah. So, I mean, Keith's... Um, contribution and just you know that that era with Def Squad and you know just their contribution to the culture I think is super dope and I think it's something that um, you know we have to look at again adding it to the list of 94 I'll take it and put it on my side and you know that weight is getting a little heavy over here right but you know when you look at what Keith did uh, with that album you know you have to add that to Everything that we've already said about '94 being such a, 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 a an epic year. True, in indeed. We'd be remiss not to talk about Keith Murray's contribution, and so this is a great opportunity to slide into our conversation with Keith. All right, cool. Most beautifulest podcast in the world. It's just like that. <laughs> Word. Peace. What up? So, if you could, man, let's kind of take us back a little bit. Let's talk about Long Island, man. I know, I know, you started rapping back in the day, and you almost battled Big Daddy Kane at the age of 16. Tell us about the Long Island hip-hop scene back then. Yeah, Dave Alshon, PCMD, Rob Pump, Vince Markey. Before that, it was like the Midnight Express through the Roosevelt, Long Island. They used to do a lot of punk jams. And the folks that were thriving. They used to break dance and pop. Mm-hmm. Do graffiti. And, um, do talent shows and stuff like that a lot. Uh-huh. So where did you so, kind of, where did you kind of fall in in that scene? Oh, all the stuff I mentioned, I was included in. I used to break dance, pop, Pullman's, and Peters, Lee's, BVGs, right, things of that nature. Right, right, right. So talk about the 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 almost infamous battle that you had with Big Daddy Kane. How did that come about? Well, my uncle born true a lot. He used to bodyguard for Big Daddy Kane. God mm-hmm. bless his daddy. Passed away. They used to bodyguard the Big Daddy King, so he would take me along to the shows that King had in, like, at the Nassau Coliseum. And then King had a birthday party. We went to Canarsie at a diner. Mm-hmm. And everybody was rhyming. And Uncle Boyne, you know, he, Uncle Boyne used to take me around Brooklyn a lot. And I used to battle like in the projects. <laughs> Excuse me, on a constant basis. I used to battle. Mm-hmm. So, we was at the diner, and Uncle Vaughn was like, Keith, Keith, get in there, it's your turn. So, I just was spitting my verse to Kane, and then Kane went after me. <laughs> and then he was like, and Kane was like, how old are you? I was like, 16. My cousin and them was over there, and everything. So, and I got it on, um, on videotape, too. I just never put the tape out. Right, right, right. That could be worth a lot of money one day, man. Yeah. So, Keith, talk to us a little oh, bit. I, never, I didn't battle. I didn't battle. I just had the chance to 
like rhymes and indictment for that. And then he rhymed. Right. You know what I'm saying? My was trying to hype it up like it was a battle, but out of respect to King, I would never say it was a battle and right. trying to gain props. Okay, so Keith, talk to us a little bit about how you hooked up with Eric Sermon and just a little bit about the genius of Eric Sermon's production. Eric Sermon's from Brentwood, Long Island. It's a town next to my town, Central Heights of Long Island. So, Pay uh, Solo is from Central Heights. And Solo from my um, area I'm from. And he used to go to the high school and battle with dudes named he. That I used to run with. When I, uh, like, was finished a little high, like, go to high school, I used to do, like, hustling on the block, too. Mm-hmm. So I used to come over there. So right after high school, I had to do, like, six months in jail or something. And then, we was on the block, and I seen Solo, and I was like, yo. Solo was like, yo, you gonna get on you always tell stories when you rhyme. I used to rhyme about stories and stuff, the stuff that happened. So, I, I seen him one day, I was like, yo, I heard he moved to, over there, mother moved near my house. I was like, yo, they moved to eat. So, he said he gave me a time to meet him, and I was going towards the house, and I seen him. So, he took me there, I knocked on the door, and I waited a while, and Eric came outside, he invited us in, and Eric was down there making beats like he always would do. Mm-hmm. So he's doing the beats. So I just started going, started reciting all my rhymes that I had in my brain. And then he was feeling it. So he just started connecting like that, and then I never really left. Now, did you have a fully developed style already? You mentioned you kind of had that storyteller style. Did you have a fully developed style, or did he kind of help you cultivate what would be the Keith Murray style? I just had a bunch of rhymes. And I was very melodic when I rhymed. Like, I would actually almost sing a little bit. <laughs> so, um, so I kind of started to sing in rap. Eric used to sing in his rhymes. You know, he used to break down a rhyme and he'd sing like, kind of like Rick. Right. So I would hold my notes and my words, and I used four-syllable words to rhyme together and stuff. So when you when you were when you were writing your rhymes back then, were you actually counting the syllables? I actually would be sitting in like science class or English class, and in the back of the class, I, I would be like they would be, the teacher would be going over the reading stuff, and I knew that coming the game you had to be original. You couldn't sound like nobody else back mm-hmm. then. You could consider fighting, but I was influenced by rappers like the educated rapper. And uh, and, uh, educated rapper, GFO, and uh, that's a sonic cool key with the scientific style. Right. I would be in school, and these words would be jumping out of the book at me Mm. in English or science class. And I had a black science system with my soccer and basketball coach, Mr. Watkins. So I always would have heard the education. Dude, so I just was like, yo, that's my style. Is the edgy, like the intellectual street mix with it. <laughs> Hip hop. Nobody right. was really doing that, but like the educated rapper. Right. Keith. And then it was like other rappers, like, um, Grandmaster Fast and Freeze Five telling the message. 
and then you had Run DMC coming out. Everybody had their own unique style. Right, which is totally different from what's going on now. Yeah, if you, if you can mimic people now, then you can be considered talented now. Yeah. That was an excessive back then. It was like you was biting. You so, were sucker and beat. So you pick people's and style. So what would have happened if somebody would have came out and kind of bit your style the way that, like, designer kind of took Future's style right now? What do you think would have happened back then? We'd have had to battle for that style. <laughs> I would have had to call you off and battle. Right, right, and right. The was like, well, who's the original first? Everybody knew because there wasn't really a lot of rappers. Like, everybody and their mama and the dog and the pet and the fish run nowadays. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Right. So you mentioned, you mentioned that you... you you were writing your rhymes in school, and you did some time locked up. So let's kind of fast forward a little bit. Like, right before your album dropped, when that most beautifulest thing in the world hit, did you think it was going to be received as well as it was? Well, I was on Eric Sermon's album single, Hostile. Uh-huh. You're quite hostile. Yeah. Keith Murray. Coming from the North East and West. Robin and Death. Making the world want to get the deep, deep breath. breath. kept you on the shelf a little bit, kind of honing that craft before you started actually recording and putting music out, right? Exactly. I was with Eric Sermon for two years before I touched the microphone, going back and forth to his house, coming through the street. But I really was going to college, too. Mm-hmm. My grandmother was play. She was like, yo, you just left high school, you got expelled in the 12th grade, you could have went to college for basketball, became a lawyer, a doctor. If just something happened, you had to go do six months, then you home, you going to school, you not living here. I'm not playing that game. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So, I was just like, yeah. <laughs> and then Eric, and then Eric, I had a bunch of rhymes, a bunch of rhymes, a bunch of rhymes. So Eric took the rhymes and he broke them up. He was like, yo, that's too many rhymes to say in one line, Larry. Break it down. And chop it down. But then I learned how to do the 16 because I used to listen to I'm doing the So we're going to drive him out for the So, um, all right. So I used to listen to Coochie Rap and, and Rock Him on Red Alert used to play it and Mr. Magic used to play it. So I learned how to do a structure 16. You know what I'm saying? Right. right. He gave you the proper format. Oh, 
You're also really known for remixes. Your remixes, other people's remixes. One of my favorites is the Get Lifted remix. What's one of your very favorite remixes that you've done? for everybody else. Right. So- yeah, but I know- A lot of those samples and a lot of those sounds from the 90s are coming back now, man. Like, how do you feel about that? Like, if you listen to the radio, you hear a lot of songs that were uh, that are, that have been influenced by stuff that we kind of grew up with in the 90s. Man, how do you feel about that sound coming back? That's dope, and I appreciate it, and I love it, because history repeats itself. Mm-hmm. 
So I just want to give, make, make sure everybody gives Eric Sermon his props. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Eric Sermon, he definitely don't get enough credit. Yeah, well, you know, um, he always going to get his just due if we keep reminding people where it came from. That's mm-hmm. how you know, because they used to be repeated stuff, and the boom back is now mixed with the futuristic sound. Mm-hmm. That's right. the new sound that I got. Another one of the remixes that I kind of was really feeling back in the day was the Dilla remix for The Rhyme. And that was pretty early in both of you all's careers. Do you remember how that came about? You working with Dilla on that? Yeah, well, I was starting to jive, and jive put me with Jay Dilla. A lot of people don't know Jay Dilla did the remix for The Rhyme. Right. And he did it for Dangerous Ground, which was in that movie. And the rest of peace to Jay Dilla and shout out to his mother and Uncle Tone. I talk to them all the time and they got a uh, beat nobody heard that they've given me. And I'm going to do a, like a mixtape album with the Jay Dilla sound in a little while. So look out for that. Oh, that would be dope. Yeah. Yeah. So, so speaking of production, we talked about Eric Sermon just a little bit. Is there any other producer out there who you haven't worked with yet? Um, that you think you want to, that you would have wanted to work with either back in the day or now? Well, actually, I'm doing a new album. It might be called uh, Rhyme Bible. I don't know exactly what I'm going to call it <laughs> yet. I don't know what I'm going to call it yet. But um, I'm talking to uh, Swiss Beats. Oh. Uh, he gonna stuff. Keith Murphy over Swiss Beats would be really dope. I'm here for that. Yeah, I'm talking to Swiss Beat. I'm talking to Pete Rock. He cooking me up, so. Mm. I'm talking to Q-Tip. Q-Tip, he gonna cook me up, so. Oh, yeah, that'd be dope. Yeah, Lodge Perspective. Well, that's sounding like it's shaping up to be a classic already. How far in the future is that? Well, they cooking up now. I'm just waiting for them to send the beat, and I'm gonna go see him, and he's gonna be popping. Like, I didn't really want to spill the beans and talk it into existence, though, and it happened, because I already talked to well, let's talk a little bit about Crew Love. Um, what was the Def Squad process for creating El Nino? Did y'all vibe off of each other and write, or did everyone just come in with their rhymes pre-written and y'all kick it that way? This is a uh, Rapid Delight song over in a video, and it was a success. It was platinum. So Def Jam came and talked to Eric Sherman about it. So... We came to the studio and he started uh, cooking up beats for it. Redman did a few beats for it. And so we just was in the studio right around. He was right then and there, back and forth every time we went. Mm-hmm. Bounced off each other. Competitive with each other. And then we got it done. Who's the most competitive member of the Death Squad? We all equal competitively. I mean, like... You can't come to the studio, come to the table, or get on the microphone without either damn near battling each other, like, but having fun with it. Right. You know what I'm saying? Friendly competition. We made each other competitive. 
Right. At one point, there were talks of having El Nino 2. Is that still in the works? Is that something we might see? El Nino 2 been talked about since El Nino 1 came out. <laughs> I hope it happens. But I don't, you know, I hope it happens. You know, the, the world is waiting for it, and I'm waiting for it too. So what what has to happen in order to make it work? Organically, us three has to come back together because we all solo artists living our lives, doing our thing. Eric brought us together. And we was on each other albums, and we support each other, and it happened. Mm-hmm. So it has to be organic. Like it has to be a purpose for it. Right. You know, I mean, the success of it was platinum. A lot of money was given to us. A lot of money was made. So I don't know. I mean, it only makes sense to me. But you know, everybody to stop what they're doing and do it, it just take dedication and communication. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, you, E, and Red all have very different types of personalities. Now, for all of y'all to come together in the studio and go on tour together, I know there had to be some hilarious moments that happened, man. Give me some of the funny moments that happened or the most memorable moments that happened with the Death Squad. Well, I don't think we got different personalities. I think that we mixed so well because we were, like, uh, similar. Mm-hmm. In a sense, and we understood each other, so we clicked like that because we knew each. Other. We was we like seen a, a bit of ourselves in each other. Mm-hmm. But um, the the best part about us was when we started doing videos together. I think because we was able to be creative, plus give our input on the schemes and we'll look at it gather around the monitor and laugh, but also have real serious, hardcore moments. You know what I'm saying? Like, we put that, that crew put a lot of fun into it. We joke and laugh, but we really don't play. You right. know what I'm saying? Right. So are there, are there any other crews outside of the Def Squad slash Hit Squad that you might think were historically up to par with the Def Squad? Like, what other crew do you think was really, really dope or that you might look at as a favorite crew? Wu-Tang Clan, Death Row, as far as multiple groups that came together and spread it out. Uh, Dungeon Family, mm. uh, Master Kingdom was like that at one point. Right. No Limit. Mm-hmm. I always wanted to know, how did you and Cannabis come together for that project that y'all did? Me and Cannabis has always been around each other, and he was like, um, he was always around a Death Squad. So it's the guy that lives in Indiana that knew him and knew me. And we put up on a song together. And I was like, yo, Corp Cannabis, I want to do a mixtape with him. The mixtape turned out to be an album that came out on an independent label. And it was my brainchild, but it didn't really go as I planned it to. And I gave a lot of my solo record to it. Mm-hmm. And um, I wanted to see it do more than what it did, but we just, I love cannabis, but we kind of took apart. We never went on, did one show, did one video, we did XM radio at one point, but then it just sizzled out. And we could have been like, I, I seen us as like random math at one point, but I guess we just was laid on and we just didn't stick and have the same common goals as far as going and making the album 
Right, right. Now, how do you feel when, when, when normally, like, as, as far as Keith Murray, like, especially with you and Cannabis, your vocabulary is just, you know, sometimes it goes over a lot of folks' head, man. But, you know, lyrically, you're one of the dopest that we've seen in several generations, man. So how does it feel being up there with, 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 with the great lyricists? I feel a sense of uh, accomplishment and uh, uh, gratitude. Like, people see me all the time. It's like, yo, you're a legend. You're one of the, you're one of the eldest. But you're underrated, and uh, I put a lot of dedication and, and uh, hard work into my writing and my craft to further the culture with integrity. So it shows off, and it's really showing off a lot now. I feel like I'm more popular and respected more than I ever been. Mm-hmm. So that's a good sign that I can continue my legacy and keep it moving and, and, and uh, uh, give the culture and the fans. Right. We saw you on the battle scene. I guess it's been about a year or so now. Are we going to see any more battles from you, or how is that going to go? Are you and Fred, are you and Fredro going to do a rematch? Like, what's going on with that? Shout out to Fredro. Fredro is a cool dude, and he's a he's a friend of mine. Mm-hmm. And we didn't do it with like no intent to be mad at each other or nothing like that. And it was a good learning experience for me. Because I had to go through so much to get to that stage that night. I waited around 45 minutes on my feet to get in. Then I waited three hours in there. It turned into an all-you-can-eat uh, buffet and right. uh, 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 free alcohol and beer thing. By the time I got to the stage, <laughs> I was ready to go to sleep. Right. <laughs> <laughs> So, are you going to do any more battling? Because, I mean, that's a, that's definitely a scene that's popping right now, man. Are we going to see you I on that battle circuit? I would love to do it again. I would love to do it again. I would love to have go back to do it. I became viral and a bigger star than I ever was mm-hmm. because of the way it turned out. Instead of me just going in there, reciting my rhymes to the rhythm and it went it's planned. It's funny how things work to keep Murray. Now I'm bigger, I have more opportunities, and I would definitely love to do it again because I would know what to do and what not to do. Mm-hmm. Take any hesitation, make your alcohol and sit around and have all you can drink and eat buffet, jammery, and party. You know what I'm saying? Right. And I'm not going to blame it on the, uh, the, the promoters and say that it was just unprofessional. As a worthy adversary for Keith Murray, who would you see yourself battling? I ain't going to say nobody's name because I'm not about doing that. And people might think that, oh, he's saying my name, he's disrespecting me, he he's better than me and stuff like that. But I'm up for the challenge for any lyricist to challenge Keith Murray in the situation is proper and right. I know what to do, what to say, how to say it. And it was to a beat. It wasn't acapella. I'm a real drama person, you know what I'm saying, and I can stop, I can go, I can think, I can rebuttal, and a clear, sober, clean mind, instead of a beat that skips, jumping, microphones, clipping, DJ, back there, the record, he put the wrong record in the order of the way it should go, 
know what I'm saying? Right. But I would be ready for anything. Like, I'm talking to y'all right now. If I was to go into a battle right now, I could probably even do a beat. It'd be, it'd be disgusting. Right. Now, is there anyone in... in I'm, not making up, I'm not making up excuses. I'm just telling you what had happened. <laughs> what had happened was... was. Right. <laughs> Now, is there anyone in the new generation of hip hop, anyone today that you know you really see running with the torch? Anybody that inspires you? Yeah, you got you got Joey Badass, you got the Flatfoot Zombies, you got Kendrick Lamar. I like J Cole. I like Nipsey Hussle. You know what I'm saying? People of that nature. Oh, then you got. I'm starting to listen to Chance the Rapper. He's he's dope. Yeah, Chance is dope. Yeah, I'm he, starting to listen to him now that he's becoming more uh uh I would say not mainstream but like more popular. Right. Yeah, that coloring book mixtape definitely did big thing. Did you listen to the whole thing? I did. I heard the whole thing. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't listen to the whole thing yet. I'm gonna go listen to it. I would recommend it definitely. So what other what other projects yeah, is Keith okay. Murray working on right now? I got a. Uh, Hip hop rock and roll band called Spontaneous Combustion. Mm -hmm. I just was sitting down with Chuck D yesterday. Uh -huh. He's gonna help me bring it out through his label and my label and get exposure in that genre of music because that's what he's doing now too with the uh, Prophet to Raid. Mm -hmm. And I hopefully one day that we can work with them and be in cahoots with what they're doing. But it takes a process and a step to get to that level. Right. But Right now, you'll hear about them. You can go online and listen to uh, our Apple. We got a song called Suicide Prevention on iTunes. And we're coming out with an album in the next six months. Right. So listen for that. And I got a label, Iliotic Music, I'm coming out with. I got an artist named Chase Frost. Y'all can look out for him. He's real dope. And I got my brother, D. Munch. I got that boy, uh, uh, question or one of the last questions man Keith Murray back you know in your heyday you had a reputation of straight knocking dudes out man but now you hear you know we hear like a lot of people who had beef in the industry kind of kind of making up and kind of burying the hatchet over those long years of beef that they've had man is there anyone that you've had beef with back in the day that you've made up with that we may not know about oh yeah I had a stigma because I used to uh, run with a group of young men who gave themselves the name by the L name of LOD mm -hmm. people used to call us a gang uh -huh. And um, uh, we used to, you know, defend ourselves very well in the streets. We wasn't like bullies or troublemakers or nothing like that. But I still have that stigma. And I'm working hard to let people know that, you know, I, I've got kids to feed and a career to succeed in. And, and no way am I out here trying to harm people and I have no disregard for human life. Right. But me and Prodigy actually buried the hatchet, we're, we're cool, when we talk and things of that nature now, we was kids, we did 
things kids do, but now we're grown men, so we do the things that grown men do. What about what about Dame Dash? That beef ever been squashed? Oh yeah, definitely that beef has been squashed. I didn't even really know you really knew about that like that. But yeah, that <laughs> beef has squashed. I didn't know. I didn't really like talk too much about that. I actually was talking one day and somebody caught it on tape and put it out. Trucker, mm -hmm. uh. Video people be like catching me off guard sometimes and putting stuff out against my will. You know, right. I can easily go find them and put a night check on the side of their neck. But yeah. I'm not about that anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you don't, you don't, you don't have a blade under your tongue no more, right? Oh, the blade is my tongue. It's, it's a sword. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, man. We definitely appreciate it. It's mightier than a sword, baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure, man. We definitely appreciate you taking the time to chop it up with us, man. Any any last words? Anything else? Anything else you want to say, people, to the people on the podcast? Yeah, check out Keith Mary Facebook, Keith Mary Twitter, Keith Mary, excuse me, Keith Mary Instagram. All right, cool. Keith Mary Facebook, Keith Mary Twitter, and Keith Mary Instagram. Word up! And I dress better than any gay man. <laughs> 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 Word up, man. I definitely appreciate it, man. We're glad that you came on and did this with us. Yo, and you can book Keith Murray at a uh, venue near you. Go to Keith Murray Booking. All the promoters. Come on, man. Stop playing. <laughs> I heard you on the shout out, but I had to get that out. Absolutely. <laughs> ain't, no, ain't, ain't nothing wrong with no plugs, man. Get it in. Hey, come on, man. Y'all promoters, man. Do your thing. I want everybody out there listening to uh, request Keith Murray to come to y'all city and y'all town and y'all local clubs to host. Post parties and stuff too, because I get that in. Thank you, I appreciate it. Peace.